So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello man fans, Ollie Mann here with The Modern Man. This week I'm going to be speaking to a lifesaver who is going to make you feel inadequate about what you get up to at the weekends. Uh, Thank you to everyone who got in touch last week at The Modern Man on Twitter uh, to say that as a result of my conversation with the sleep expert, Dr Guy Meadows, you have actually had a few hours extra kip. You have sort of cured your insomnia. Uh, That is amazing. Public service podcasting we're doing here. We should apply for a grant or something. Whilst we actually don't have grants or subsidies or big corporate overlords, thank you to everyone who has donated us beer money in the past few weeks, including Leo, uh, who has also sent in the following feedback about last week's show. He says, Ollie Peart might like to know a simpler way to get flavoured ice cubes than making a cordial and freezing it. For a split second there, Leo, when I read this email, I did have the slight panic that you have gone ahead and monetized my incredible commercial idea of pre-made flavoured ice cubes. But you haven't. Uh, My retirement plan is safe. He continues, I like a bit of citrus in my drink and I like my summer drinks cold, so I just slice up quarters of lemons and limes and pop them in a plastic box in the freezer. Whenever I want an ice cube, I just take out a slice of citrus and I get all the flavour without either watering down my drink or the ice taking up extra space. Uh, You can't argue with that. Thank you, Leo. Uh, I like a dirty martini, personally, so you've now got me wondering whether I should be freezing cubes of olive brine. I'm guessing that really, probably, wouldn't be a big seller. Uh, In this episode, you're going to learn why you should never get wasted on a warship, what's considered unsuitable attire at a sadomasochist club, and what I'd sound like doing an Irvin Welsh audiobook. It's a dream. Let's do this on this week's Modern Man. Because you don't know what you're going to be faced with, so we have to be prepared for anything. Chucked in at the deep end, saving lives on the Thames. You know, your eyes are popping out like Roger Rabbit or something. There's so much to see, and it can be very easy to accidentally get things wrong. And Alex Fox on how to keep your cool when sex gets steamy. But first, it's the man with all the trends so hot, if you ate them from the jar, you'd need yoghurt to cool them down. It's Ollie Pitt with The Zeitgeist. Hello, Ollie. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. What are the big stories we should be following this week? Sunglasses. It's November. Yes, it is. It can still be bright, but they're designed in a particular way. They've got a wacky pattern on them. Imagine sort of uh, Timmy Mallet style, right? And they're quite big. And that's fashionable? Well, it's not fashionable. You see, what they do is they stop facial recognition technology from recognising your face. Better still, they can make it think you are someone else. So if you walk around dressed like a 1980s children's entertainer, Mm -hmm. 
then you'll be less conspicuous. That's the thinking. I mean, well, there's a flaw there It's not quite like that. What, what they do is they distort your face because they have to be a certain size and have a certain pattern on them to confuse the technology because it's a computer and it's an idiot. It just goes, uh, well, you're probably this bloke. Okay, so if you're wearing those glasses because, for example, you want to commit a crime mm-hmm. and so you don't want the cameras at the bank to be able to identify you, yeah. then if you, Ollie, are wearing those glasses so that your mother-in-law's camera doesn't recognise you when you ring the doorbell... Sounds like a weird thing to use them for. Actually, isn't there a danger that the algorithm is going to identify you not as you, but as an international criminal? Actually, you're going to make it much worse. Or... International criminals are going to be popping up everywhere. I'm not quite sure how it actually determines how you look like someone else. But ultimately, the point is it's just confusing. It just confuses it. And then you have an alibi anyway. Because if it's not going to be like, oh, yeah, you were robbing this bank in uh, San Francisco. No, it wasn't. It was my grand's was, house was trying was to avoid her house. facial recognition yeah. technology she's got going on in her front room. Well, this is the thing. How much facial recognition technology really is there around us on a daily basis? One of the uses that people would use them for is in protests, right? Because then... You don't get recognised. I mean, that's the whole point. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. So you wouldn't have to wear the old. Uh, well, what's that? What's that film where they wear that mask from that film? They all scream. Wear... No, it's not the scream mask, is it? It's that one from the other film. The anonymous people. They wear it. It's V for Vendetta. That's, that's it. right. Yeah. So... How did V for Vendetta become the mask that people wear to protests? Well, because he stands for, and he's like anti-establishment, isn't he? Because he blows up the houses of parliament, right? But surely all the police need to do is see who's ordered one of those off Amazon. <laughs> What, much that? easier than <laughs> yeah. any facial recognition. Just trace their address. Got their address, you've got their credit card details. Honestly, mate, it was just for Halloween. <laughs> what are your other trends for the week? Train spotting. Two. Is it coming out? It is. The film is coming out in January, but the trailer came out uh, last week. Okay, the trailer's out. Yes. Okay. Is it directed by Danny Boyle? It is. Good. Yes. Is uh, Robert, what's it in it? Carlisle? Yes. Right. He's in it. You McGregor? McGregor. Right, okay. It's all drugs. It's all sex. It's all that kind of stuff. But it has got quite a... Uh, when you watch the trailer, there's a very distinct change. So you remember that um, the, the monologue at the, uh, in, in Transport, in the famous one? See if you can repeat it. Do you know the bit where he does it? Choose life. Go on. How far Choose a big car. Choose shopping in John Lewis. Yeah. Stuff like that. So it kicks off in this one and it yeah. goes, uh, choose life, yeah. choose Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, oh. and hope that someone somewhere cares. Yeah, that makes me feel a bit... Depressed? No, anxious that the film's going to be shit, actually, immediately. Well, I don't think it should start with another monologue and I don't think it should reference Facebook because it's going to be really dated really quickly. But what might be good is the soundtrack. Do you remember the original soundtrack? I don't think there's any might about it. It's going to be very good. If Danny Boyle's involved, it will have a stonking soundtrack. But nobody really knows what's going to be in it. There's loads of speculation about what track's going to be in there. What would you like to see in there? It's got to, Remember, it's got to be like defining of this era. No, it hasn't because, I mean, Perfect Day, that song was 20 years old by the time the first one came out. Yeah, but it was, it was symbolic of the, ni- so it was of the 90s, wasn't no, it? No, it's only symbolic of the 90s because it's in Trainspotting. You could take a song from the 90s and put it in Trainspotting 2 and that would become symbolic of 2017 if it was in Trainspotting 2, potentially. So what would you put in it then? I don't know, Ollie Peer. I'm not Danny Boyle. I did meet Danny Boyle once. Oh, is he nice? He was really nice, yeah. Oh, that's dreamy. Because he spent... comes across as really nice. He's really nice. I'll tell you what he says a lot. I don't meet. <laughs> no, he's Mancunian, Ollie. Oh, You're sorry. just sitting on that accent, <laughs> weren't you? <laughs> I'll tell you what he says a lot. Go on. Extraordinary. No, I can't do Manchester now because you just did Scotland. Extraordinary. That's what he says a lot. Extraordinary. He just filmed Slumdog Millionaire when I met him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how was India? He goes, extraordinary people, an extraordinary place. Just kept saying extraordinary. Oh, he needs to up his vocab. But I'm quite excited about it. 
Out Jan 27th in the UK, mm-hmm. 3rd of February in the US. Because the original one, this is absolutely true, we're talking about accents. So in the original version of Trainspotting, not the original, the first one, I should yeah. say the first one, shouldn't yeah. I? They, um, for the US market, they dubbed or redubbed the first 20 minutes because they oh, couldn't understand they, yeah. it. Yeah. So maybe that's why it's going out later in the US because they've got to, got to dub it. I should get you to do it. You've got quite a nice voice. I've got, I could make everything perfectly intelligible. Choose I? life. <laughs> Choose Facebook. Could you please pass my smack? I would like some drugs, please. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, what is your other trend for this week? Watermelon juice. Actually, I'm ahead of the trend if that really is a trend because uh, when I used to uh, have a radio show uh, on a commercial radio station that paid me a load of money, it was next door Whole Foods. So when I had loads of money and I didn't care, I used to go into Whole Foods and buy watermelon juice for my drink. It cost like six quid and I used to drink one every show. So in the UK alone, on Instagram, we post 130,000 images in the UK alone of food. What's this got to do with watermelon juice? Well, it's all about colour. It's like vibrancy and colour. So oh, they're, they're, all the trends sort of fit in with colourful, bright stuff that looks amazing so when you take a read... picture on it and a, and, a, and a, I don't know, fill on, bit of tilt shift, make it look all good and nice and all that kind of stuff. And they're predicting as a result of that that Polynesian food too is going to become a trend. I've never had Polynesian food. No, neither have I. But you will in 2017, apparently. Right, okay. But all of the stuff, all of the trendy stuff is really healthy. It's really healthy food. Because typically healthy food is very vibrant and bright and looks great. Yeah, sort of. Think of a dull, healthy food. Uh, Tofu. That's not. I mean, that's just nutritionally void. So do you want to play this game with me? Do I have a choice? No. Okay. I'm going to call the game Food Porn Recipe Guess. It's good. It's good, it's catchy, isn't it? I don't, know if, I don't know if there's any TV executives listening, but you've got to be careful they don't run away with that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a name of a food, right? and you have to guess some of the ingredients. Okay. You ready? Is it, are they real things, or is this from your brain? They're real things! Okay, okay. One of them I might have slightly made up the title because the title was too obvious as to what ingredients were in it. Go on, yeah. Okay, go. Right, okay, ready? Banana Freak Shake. <laughs> I mean, I've given you a clue. Is this something you've been watching on Pornhub again? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, I might Google that. Banana freak shake. Uh, okay, I think I've heard of the freak shake trend. I think it's milkshakes that are pimped up with like five packets of Oreos in them. So I think it's that with banana. Well, I'll give you. I'll give it's you a really Oreo because yeah, cookies in the ingredients. Yeah, okay. So too is popcorn. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck that in. Whipped coconut cream. Mm. It's just people clogging up their arteries, isn't it? Well, yeah, because they're spending you the say, rest saying, of the time. Oh, but it's all natural. They've eaten raw fish during yeah. the week, so <laughs> yeah. come on, let's have some, let's have some of this. Okay. Next one. Yeah. Food porn French toast. Uh, Bacon, cheese, waffles, and sour cream. Have you ever had French toast? Yes. What is French toast? It's just uh, fried bread with cinnamon on it. And how's it fried? I don't know. Eggs! Right, oh, that's right, yeah. God, that was a given. And bread. Okay, so what's in one. the food porn one, then? Uh, Nutella. Right. Oreos. Crumbled. Oreos are the key to everything, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And what they do in this one is they melt the Oreo cream and then put it on top. Ooh! Right, one more for us to guess, then, Ali. One more, you ready? Yeah. Breakfast biscuits. Okay, eggs and bacon eggs, ground yes. up into Weetabix. Oh, Am I close? close. Am I? No, not really. Eggs, oh. onion, chorizo, biscuit dough, yeah. and cheese. Uh-huh. Mm. And where's, you, who, where's serving that monstrosity? No, nowhere. You've got to make it. Oh, it's like one of these things on BuzzFeed, is it, that no one actually makes? Yeah, I basically just Googled what BuzzFeed are up to and then right. just regurgitated it for this, this show. Excellent. Well... I mean, you don't don't expose your methodology. <laughs> if people have an idea of another listicle you can shamelessly rip off and uh, represent poorly, uh, what should they do? At the Modern Man on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, get in touch. 
it would just make my life easier. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you need, isn't it? Let's work on this. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, what's it like being a hero in your spare time? The RNLI lifeboats are the charity that save lives at sea. But a lot of people don't realise, I didn't, that they also work on the rivers. So if you've ever been on a party boat in London, you will appreciate the myriad things that can go wrong there and get partygoers into trouble on the Thames. If you ever find yourself in that situation, Amber Bowie is one of the people manning the lifeboats who might come to your rescue. She's been with the RNLI for a couple of years now, but before that had virtually no experience at sea, which is why she's learned on the job how to talk to the Coast Guard. The first thing is you can never say over and out, because if you say over and out, they'll think you're an idiot because you say over when you want a response and you say out when you finish the conversation. So saying over and out is kind of like saying, I want a response, no I don't. But it, there's a kind of, like who says out is a bit of a thing. Like if you say, <laughs> if particularly with the Coast Guard, if you out the Coast Guard, you know, you might upset him. Right, okay, <laughs> don't out the Coast Guard. Don't out the Coast Guard, in any sense. he's in charge. Okay, what kind of person do you end up saving? It varies massively. We get people who are sick on boats. We get people who have had a few too many sherries and think it's a great idea to go for a swim, often naked. And then we also have people with mental health difficulties. So we have people, quite a lot of jumpers from the bridges. Talk me through each one of those then. So so you said people who are sick on boats. How does yeah. the call come in to you? Uh, so somebody generally will alert either the Coast Guard or the police um, or the ambulance uh, but we are on the river we can generally get to the boat quicker than an ambulance can on land side so the bell goes uh, we have to launch in 90 seconds how do you do that our station is actually on the water so it goes up and down with the tide mm-hmm. and the boat is next to it we have all our life jackets and suits lined up and so the bell goes um, and then we have to get all our PPE on in time on our helmets and then drive away within 90 seconds so you get to the boat where someone's feeling sick yeah but then what you do i mean you're not a trained paramedic well we're not trained paramedic but we we're trained as first responders we have three medical bags the first one is the oh crap so that's airway and bleeding and then we have the second one which is pain essentially things like spinal injuries and then the third bag is the kind of gucci bag which is the big heavy one so the idea is that you the first responding bag can just go straight on to a boat and we can start with CPR or whatever is necessary um, and the rest can follow. We had quite a good one, not good one, but um, we, <laughs> we, had, a memorable one. we had one where um, a lady had had a bit too much to drink on a, on a warship. She was attending an event and um, she was sitting on the torpedo <laughs> at which point she fell and slipped underneath it and was trapped between the deck and the torpedo. She's not in a great situation, but it doesn't appear to be <laughs> problematic. Uh, we got called. Uh, the fireboat also got called. At which point, the 
torpedo starts crushing on her chest. So actually she starts, uh, her breathing starts to become restricted um, and it's getting more and more serious. So the more she breathed, the more it was crushing her. Fireboat and the police all trying to come up with different solutions. How are we going to cut this torpedo in half and lots of risk assessments. And then... I was going to say, I mean, even a Second World War torpedo is still (laughs) presumably something that can do some damage if you uh, disassemble it incorrectly. Exactly, yeah. And then the helm at the time uh, came up with a genius idea of uh, washing up liquid. So squirted that all over her and uh, she popped out. Lubricated her out of the torpedo. Lubricated her out of the torpedo. Goodness. Okay, so there's Um, a lot of thinking on your feet. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because you don't know what you're going to be faced with. So we have to be prepared for anything. And what are some of the other views of London that you've seen that perhaps ordinary joes don't get to. oh it's amazing because in london we're so like physically enclosed by buildings by streets it's very often not very often you get this big kind of open view in the way that you would in the country so that's one of the things i like best about it is that you kind of on the river and you get this whole different spatial experience mm. um and you can see the skies and like we were just down at the thames barrier uh, last week which was amazing and then we had this kind of stormy sky and you can see everything it's just a completely different perspective and I guess as well, you know, when you're not in pursuit of someone who's drowning, obviously, there's kind of a serenity as well, isn't there, to being, especially at night, Absolutely. you must feel quite alone. Yeah, yeah, and um, like going under Victoria and Albert Bridge is pretty special. Is that the best view? <laughs> Absolutely. It's funny, isn't it, like Londoners would know that view 100 years ago, but yeah. now because of trains and bikes and obviously cars, yeah, no one really... Has that perspective. Has that yeah. knowledge. Yeah. You know, you need to be regularly on the river to know. I mean, there's quite a lot of uh, naughty films that get filmed along the river at night time. Are there? Um, and it's very visible from the boat because uh, you're on the river at night time training. Are you saying people are having sex on the beach <laughs> of the Thames or on uh, a boat? No, no, within the apartments. So the oh, apartments are all lit up and they make movies. Quite a number of places make movies along there. So it must be the backdrop, I think. Wow, OK. But so not so good when you get the boat. <laughs> that's fascinating because... You know, when people think of pornography, I think professionally made stuff, they think of Silicon Valley, probably. They, they tend not to think that along the, the river in London... At Wapping. It's, yeah, it's so common that you can see it illuminated as you drive past. Wow. Well, I guess a little tip for you if you're uh, feeling lonely. That's extraordinary. There's a whole special tour in that, then. So you know the buildings where the pornographers live. Well, obviously, I couldn't disclose them. Sure. Yeah. Okay, and then let's talk about that third category of people, which is, you described them as people with mental health difficulties. Yeah. So this is people trying to take their own lives. It is, yeah, yeah. I guess no two cases are the same, but what's typical there? Generally, they've got to a point uh, where they don't feel they kind of want to continue their life and they will go to a bridge and either threaten to jump or jump. The time it takes is varies. Sometimes we catch them. Uh, sometimes landside police will pull them over. So quite often landside police will do the talking and, and bring them down, which is really good. And sometimes they just go straight away the river is actually a really dangerous place because it's a river we assume it's not that dangerous in terms of the depth of it but it actually has a lot of strong currents has undercurrents that can hold you down all sorts of obstacles so if you're in the river it's not a place you want you really want to be and when those two different types of calls come in you know Mm. there's the person who is threatening to jump and the person who is about to jump yeah presumably you're more optimistic about the former one you don't really have time to think about it you're just on the boat and you're just there and you're ready for it's when you get there it's like are they in the water or are they about to jump or you just have to be ready because if they go and you can get them that's the aim obviously so you want to just keep your eyes on them it's a difficult thing isn't it because the person that you're rescuing who's intended to jump obviously that is what they wanted to do and you know that's in a way 
Um, they're right, but as you say, quite you know, often not they straight. D- they change their mind though once they've been in there. So we've had quite a lot of cases where we pull people onto the boat and and they're understandably really embarrassed. The first thing they do is apologise. Um, you get to learn a lot about <laughs> uh, people in that moment. And so if that's people or just English people, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> You can find them in all sorts of states. Sometimes they're really resistant. Sometimes they have real mental health issues in terms of they're not really sure what they've done. They don't know why they've done it. Uh, we've had cases where people have believed they've killed people. So then they've then jumped. And, that you know, they're in a lot of distress and they need kind of a lot of care. Like we would never leave someone there. We'd always take them. I think most people would then regret it. So, but you, have, equally, have you had people that, you pick up and, and they don't want to be picked up they want to die yes yeah absolutely. i mean that must be very very difficult it is but also in the moment that that happens like it's you're too concerned with getting them warm and getting them safe you ca- you can't judge them you just have to care for them and get them to safety sometimes we have to hold people down or s- sit on them stop them jumping <laughs> i think in that moment they may feel like that but you don't know how they're going to feel later mm. and, and do they get in touch some of these people afterwards and say thank you for saving my life yeah some do yeah some kind of don't remember it because of the adrenaline and because we're first responders actually they're often not really don't have much memory until they get to hospital so but that's kind of we don't really it's not really why we do it what's the thing that you think sort of sticks with them the most is it the cold yeah i mean cold water shock is what actually can kill a lot of people so if you hit the water and it's cold um, our natural reaction is to gasp at which point we take on water and you can actually drown in in a tiny amount of water with the cold can also make your limbs kind of stop working completely mm. and so when you get that cold yeah i think it probably it takes over in a way that uh, we're not really aware of until it happens and again is there a story that sort of sticks with you you know is there a thing when you think about that kind of thing which makes you think oh that was i i, I really helped there or that's a thing that i will never forget seeing uh yeah <laughs> You're grimacing. What are the details you it's don't It's not a very happy story, so... That's okay. Yeah, no, we pulled someone uh, from the river who unfortunately didn't make it. Um, and that was my first uh, CPR job. And that was... Uh, yeah, it was uh, really sad for the person that didn't make it. But then uh, I guess you also have to think if we hadn't been there, then nobody would have pulled the guy. So we gave it a go. I mean, it's, it doesn't surprise me because it's exactly how I'd think as well that the people you remember afterwards are the ones you failed to save rather than the ones you did. Yeah. But obviously, I guess, in your reflective moments, you have to think, but there are all these people we've helped save. And oh, exactly, right yeah. I mean, we've saved 16 lives this year alone. So that's, I mean, not me personally, but I mean, that's an amazing achievement. That's fantastic. That's why we're there, really. But it's interesting because you're talking about it like it's your career, but it's not you have a job, you volunteer, right? I do, yes. What yeah, do you yeah. do for a living? I am an architect. Right. Okay. You work Monday to Friday, basically, as an architect. Pretty much, yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. when do you, when do you go and work with the RNLI? Well, I actually work four days a week because I believe in having a quality of life, which is something that's quite difficult to have in London. So I volunteer on the day off and then weekends, and then there's also night shifts. Because when you describe ju- just sort of mentally dealing with some of the stuff <laughs> that you've seen, yeah, that's the kind of thing that even people who do it professionally struggle with at the weekend to sort of decompress. You're you're doing something else during the week, and then at the weekend you're taking on all this extra stuff that paramedics have to deal with professionally. It's uh, a strange thing in a way to do to volunteer to say, "Yeah, I'm going to go through things that might be adrenalising and exciting, yeah. might, might also be traumatic." Yeah, it's so different to what I do. Like so, so different. So, 
the experience is so much richer because it's the complete opposite to my sort of day job. And then the sort of camaraderie and support within uh, the RNI is, is fantastic within the station. So you, it's kind of corny, but we are like one big family. So there is so much support. Um, and if you have a call which is not so good, you get, you know, 20 phone calls from the whole of the station and you get talked to a lot and there's a lot of concern and a lot of care for one another, which is something that's really special because I think, again, it's not something you, that kind of community isn't so readily around in London and, and one of so many different ages and so many different experiences. So that's kind of part of it is being part of something that is kind of a bit bigger than your own little world. And I, I mean, I guess as much as I've ever thought about lifeboats before, I suppose the, the kind of people I imagined volunteering for the lifeboats were, were basically old men with beards, <laughs> um, who I guess had had some kind of seafaring past. Yeah. And then gone off to retire somewhere in Cornwall and then did a little bit, you know, and once or twice a year they helped an old lady whose dog fell in the sea. Yeah. Is that just completely wrong? You're not far off on the old version of the lifeboat crew. Um, sort of years ago, that that is the case. Um, although the sea guys have done some pretty impressive rescues but I think it's changing now and particularly in London that you have so many people of so many different walks of life um, obviously having a maritime background is very helpful but not necessarily you didn't have but any background in no I, I surf a lot so I kind of understand water but <laughs> but in terms of boats no not an idea it's just it occurs to me as you're talking that it's not just about I get what you're saying but it's not just about the community of people around you that you're volunteering with it's about the fact that you are doing something for the community as well. And that's something that's missing from a lot of people's lives, isn't it? I mean, obviously, as an architect, yeah. you try and design nice buildings, but yeah, it's, yeah. you don't get the hands-on sense that you're involved in a community. I mean, it says a lot about London, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, You yeah, have to absolutely. volunteer to find anything like that. Which, I mean, I suppose it's a bit egotistical in some ways. Like, I need to be important. It's quite selfish in some ways. Because no, it's not. <laughs> it, I could make that argument if you were someone who went once a year to hand out soup on Christmas Day. I mean, if you're doing it every single week. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. I think it goes beyond selfish, really. Because it seems a bit mental that it's a charity at all rather uh, than emergency service yeah it is it is uh, we're really lucky because we have a really good relationship with the we, other agencies so ambulance police and fire we get on with very well and that's really important to us doing our job but it's insane that it's a hundred percent charity funded i mean i hadn't really thought about that i mean yeah. the samaritans for example mm. they'd say the same thing wouldn't they we're, yeah. we're a charity we've got a great relationship with the police yeah it's not actually the people who are putting themselves in danger going into the water and rescuing someone. I mean, you'd think at that point that that person would actually be paid or be at least part of yeah, an official I, structure. I think because we're such an institution and we, we've gone back so long that it, there's a kind of just tradition of it and, and people are so invested in it as a, as a charity that it is mad that it's not funded but in, in any other way than charitable money, but it also is a really strong, well-known you know, when you say they're on a night, people know who we are and they know what we're about generally. Amber Bowie there. And if you want to donate to the RNLI as a result of listening to that or volunteer to join them, they are an amazing organisation, do check out their website, rnli.org. And needless to say, if you're a person who's been affected by the issue of contemplating suicide, please know that you are not alone. There are so many people who can help you before you need ever see a lifeguard. You can always call the Samaritans and you can read up loads about mental health and support at mind.org.uk. This episode of The Modern Man is supported by the lovely people at Beer52 
Brewery.com. Who are they? Well, as their name suggests, they sell beer. Good, we like that. Uh, And they deliver it to your door 52 weeks of the year. Well, monthly, actually, but presumably the name Beer 12 sounded shit. Anyway, Beer 52 are brilliant. Uh, You send them a monthly subscription, you get back in return a box of 10 beers, IPAs, pale ales, stouts, porters, all delicious to your home or to your office even. They are the UK's number one craft beer club and they've got a special discount just for you. As a Modern Man listener, you can get 50% off your first box of beer. That is eight delicious craft beers for just 12 quid. All you need to do is head over to beer52.com slash modern52 to claim your half-price first box. And there's no obligation to keep subscribing, and you can cancel at any time, but I reckon you are going to like their service. Uh, That is beer52.com slash modern52. And for every one of you who takes up the offer, Beer52 are going to give us some beer money. We're all winners. It's beer52.com slash modern52. Cheers. Right, it's time for the filth. Alex Fox is here for the foxhole. Hello, Alex. Hello, my darling Ollie. I'm ready to get down to the nitty-gritty of titties and bitties. <laughs> so am I. But first, we must thank our sponsors of this section, mycondom.com. Each week, I'm going to go for you a little bit of information about what they do. Yeah. This week, it is that they stock ceramic vibrators, uh, sort of pleasurable pottery, if you will. And they're good because not only are they eco-friendly alternatives to, say, plastic or silicone and those kind of things, but they're good for temperature play because if you immerse ceramic in hot water or cold water, then it becomes warm or cold. So in addition to your vibrations, you can have temperature-based sensations as well. And, And that's different to what the Romans and the Greeks had how? Well, for a start, Greeks and Romans didn't have anything that vibrates, although it is uh, purported that in ancient Egypt, some people would hollow out gourds, fill them with bees uh, so that they literally buzzed and then held those against their genitals. And what sexy adventures have you been up to recently, Alex? Well, I went to my first naked sex sauna. Coming from you, that sounds like a pedestrian experience. Well, it is pedestrian in the sense that it's located on Kentish Town High Street. Uh, Oh, uh, I went to Rio's. Rio's, yeah. yeah. The infamous, the notorious Rio's. So explain to us what happens there, because there's a lot of gay saunas, aren't there, in London, and you see them, chariots and stuff. Rio's is actually owned by the same people as chariots. Is it? Okay, so it doesn't So it's a heterosexual version of chariots. Which is what I find interesting, because I don't think it takes that much imagination actually to imagine what might happen in the gay sauna but a straight sauna you know where you have men and women walking around naked bearing in mind that as we've discussed many times in the show male and female attitudes to engaging in sex can be quite different how does that work well i was there reporting for cosmopolitan magazine because apparently more young women are now attending these naturist sex saunas and i should be careful to draw a, stin- a distinction between standard naturist health spas where you go to be naked and free and liberated but there's no sexy stuff yeah. involved versus these sex specific locations like like rio's where people go uh, to cruise and be voyeuristic or um, or to hook up. But are these young straight women who are going to cruise men actually all journalists? <laughs> <laughs> or are there real people there? Were you the youngest person there? No, there were several people around my age. Yeah. Women? And, and even younger. Yeah. And some straight really women. beautiful, hot, straight women. Wow. We are actually going to talk along similar lines uh, for this week's question. It's from Vanessa. Uh, who has emailed to talk about uh, perhaps an environment that you are more used to being in. 
Uh, she says, Alex, my friend and I are going to Torture Garden for the first time. I imagine that's some sort of kinky club, is it? Yes, Torture Garden is a very famous S&M club, although it's also got a strong dance element. It's a big kink club, a big fetish club. Okay. Neither of us have been before, but my regular partner has gone quite a lot in the past and is very enthusiastic about her experiences there. She's unable to join us for this event, so my friend and I are a little nervous. I was wondering if you could offer some general advice and guidance on visiting a fetish club for the first time and what to expect. Well, before you go to Torture Garden or any other fetish club, there are a few things that you'll want to do prior to your visit. The first one, and this is probably especially important with with Torture Garden or TG, as uh, regular visitors call it, is check out the dress code. Torture Garden are notoriously strict on who they will let in the door. And if you're not dressed suitably for the event, even if you've bought a ticket, you will be turned away. So what is an example of unsuitable attire? One too many nipple clips or, uh, you know, wearing Levi's? There's two things you can get wrong. You can either underdress severely, i.e. turn up completely nude, which yeah. certain clubs don't allow. Weirdly. Rio's look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't don't rock up in the buff. Uh-huh. Uh, the other end of the spectrum is people who, um, now I find this a little bit elitist, but there are certain clubs who frown upon cheap looking fancy dress. So basically they want, in, in order to create a sexy ambiance and, and an intense erotic atmosphere, a lot of these clubs do insist that you look like you've put the effort in. It's not okay to rock up just looking like um, you've got a 50p costume off of eBay and you're on, you're on a stag do or right. something like that. Although I do think it's harder for men to look suitable on a budget. A top tip for guys from me would be wear a kilt because it's sort of inherently saucy in that you don't know whether you're wearing anything underneath it or not but it's still quite affordable and most blokes look alright in a kilt and feel comfortable in a kilt. And also you can wait at a bus stop in a kilt. People will just assume you're on a way to an award ceremony or wedding. True. But for people that are nervous, Vanessa says her friend might be nervous. A lot of clubs, you can either phone them up or email them beforehand for advice. Um, But also when you're there, if you're a newbie, if you're a newcomer, a lot of clubs will have tour guides who will take you round. They'll show you what's in every room and they'll answer any questions that you've got there. I imagine for a lot of people, it's such a secret pleasure you know the idea of fetish and kink and that kind of thing that when they actually go to a place where there are other people who are into it as well it then almost immediately feels less sexy in a weird kind of way because once you walk through that door once you're in the place you fantasized about uh, i imagine that can actually be quite deflating for a lot of people many people find the opposite they find they either have a sense that they suddenly become exhibitionists and the idea of showing off and being watched is very exciting for them Or they find that watching other people and being voyeuristic heightens their sense of uh, of turn-on as well. But if you are interested in watching other people, there are some rules that you should also obey. And this is going to be useful for Vanessa in her first visit. Because when you first go to a club like that, you know, your eyes are popping out like, like Roger Rabbit or something. There's so much to see. And it can be very easy to accidentally get things wrong. So first up, if you're watching somebody getting it on in an S&M club, be careful not to stand too closely because often the backswing, if someone is using a cane or a paddle <laughs> or even just spanking someone, it's very easy to accidentally essentially get a backhander to the face. Right, so yeah. don't stand too close. Same rules as if you're playing croquet, basically. Even though you'll probably have lots to say to your friend and lots you want to comment on, don't speak too loudly. 
Um, it's it's really easy once you've had a few drinks to go, oh my God, look at that. Oh, Christ. Why is he shoving that traffic cone into that person's sphincter or whatever? Keep your voice down. You don't want to put them off their stroke. <laughs> um, you might have questions that you want to ask afterwards, but if you've watched someone Can during... Can I have my traffic sing- cone back? <laughs> yeah. Don't approach people who are playing together the moment that they've stopped because the likelihood is they're going to need a little bit of time to come down. So if you want to get involved with somebody, make sure that you approach them maybe when they're at the bar or, or, or give give people a little bit of space. It's quite common when you go to a fetish club as a newcomer to see things that to you might look like they're out of control Mm. that someone is being hit too hard that levels of pain are too great that something frightens you don't interrupt that if you're concerned at all go and find a dungeon monitor somebody walking around with uh with a bad john or or, or (laughs) is it like the concierge is there a union of dungeon monitors well it is very important that they're there they're there to make sure that everybody is safe the logo for that would be it could be cross keys couldn't it but with a little dungeon inside i'd also say before you go along to something like that, it's very easy in the context of a sex club when everything's very exciting and, and again, you know, maybe you've had a couple of drinks or whatever, it's easy to get carried away. It's a really good idea to discuss with your friends or with your, your playmates before you go what your boundaries are, what your expectations of the night are and things you won't do. And bear that in mind because it's I'd, I'd rather that Vanessa and co had an enlightening, exciting night but they went maybe a second time to explore things further than went, did something wild, and then ended up regretting it because they'd, they'd got carried away in the moment. It's like Dragon's Den. Go in knowing how much you're prepared to give away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, thank you, Alex, for beautifully dispatching this week's question, and good luck, Vanessa, at the Torture Garden. Let us know how it went. Yes, hopefully I'll, I'll see you getting X-rated at TG, Vanessa. <laughs> uh, if people have a question for next week's Foxhole, what should they do? They can toddle over to our website, which is modernmanmann.co.uk, and they can click on Feedback. They certainly can. Thank you too to mycondom.com for sponsoring the Foxhole throughout this series of The Modern Man. Man. And remember, there's a special discount code, 15% off, when you type in the word FOXHOLE at the checkout. And so, this week's Modern Man is nearly at an end. But we do have a new man ambassador. It's Benny in Malaysia, who was taken to iTunes to say, every single episode has been interesting. Thank you, Benny. My goal is at least to make it terrestrial. Uh, but you are our ambassador for Malaysia. Congratulations. If you would like to leave us a review to inspire others to discover the show, head on down to iTunes.com slash M-A-N-N. Uh, music time now. Our theme is Skies Over Cairo by Django. Django, why not download it now and feel what it's like to be me? And our hot new record of the week is this by Saint Sister. It's called Tin Man and it's out on the 16th of December on Communion Records. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Somewhere in the dark, I felt your body.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.